0: It, <laughs> I don't want to know do what's happening anymore. Do you wonder why our podcast has never grown? <laughs> 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 Shit. Is it Oh. <laughs> is it the lack of effort and professionalism on our part combined with <laughs> neither of us desiring to actually do any work for the show and both of us <laughs> dreading social media that we just leave this thing to linger as it does?
1: The the irony of social media being part of my my day job is it, it's it's a very sharp irony. Let's oh say. I
0: love that irony because you are terrible at promoting our show.
1: Trust me, I'm terrible at promoting my work as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh on that note, hello. Listeners, welcome to Nashville CA. I am sorry we have been on a break for a bit. That was not really planned, but we had a shoulder surgery and some other stuff go on. So my deepest apologies that we are coming to you with a late episode, but that does not mean it's going to be a bad episode. In fact, I think it means we are going to be even more excited to be talking together and just talking a bunch of bullshit about two honestly kind of depressing sad movies
1: <laughs> hi josh how are you oh, i'm sad and depressed now because <laughs> i just watched these movies fucking hell man this is Oof. one
0: two punch one two punch this week which one did you start with
1: uh i started with Arrival rival because i'd never seen it before and i wanted to You know, I I knew that I could, like, kind of cram in the fountain if I had to, but I wanted to sit down with a rival while I had the time.
0: Okay, so we we went opposite this week. But, um, just in general, how are you overall? You got got your shoulder surgery, and you told me you can't lift your arm over your head. That doesn't seem good.
1: Yeah, I'm supposed to be wearing my sling right now, but I'm not moving much. So I kind of, like, hate wearing it. It feels like being uh, choked at all times.
0: Well... I also refuse to allow you to be any kind of restricted when we record our episodes. So, uh,
1: I, just listener, in case listeners
0: don't know this, but I, I really demand that Josh be nude when we record. So that way he's not inhibited by anything except for his thoughts. And it just, I really feel like our best episodes are when I can see just Josh nude via webcam. It just yeah. helps the flow
1: of the show. Okay. It's, if I knock anything over, I need to be able to like, grab it real quickly and, and pick it up, uh, such as a, you know, a lit candle or a can of soda. I have several lit candles and cans of soda around my nude form while we are recording.
0: Yes, you are notorious for keeping very hot and very sharp things near your nude body at all
1: times. <laughs> That's how I like it. That's how everybody likes it, I think. I mean, for me.
0: Buddy, listen, if, if you like candle wax being dripped on your balls, I'm not going to be the one to yuck your yum, so to speak. Yeah.
1: Thank you. It's, uh, you know, I've not, I've not gone there, but you might've just inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> so think about that I'm picturing future. the
0: community when the Dean sees the, the Dalmatian video, the, the sexy Dalmatian video of a man oh, and yeah, he yeah. goes, I hope this doesn't awaken anything <laughs> in me. <laughs> and then six episodes later you have two Dalmatians show up at the the winter formal dance to both be your date. So brilliant. So good. Um I've got nothing new. That date that I talked about that cancelled. So that fizzled out. Um mm. I'm a Subaru man now.
1: You got that going for you, yeah.
0: I traded in the Jeep for a Subaru, so I traded in a really crappy American-made car for a really nicely made Japanese used car. And um Does, does it have heated seats? It does. Oh, dude, it's it's like going from a wooden just like a, a like a little dinghy with two wooden oars okay to now being in the HMS Surprise from Master and Commander kind of (laughs) ship now, where it's like, I feel like I'm driving a spaceship now. There's so many buttons and shit. The Jeep was like the most rudimentary car ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. It was a rest bucket. It was falling apart. I hope the Subaru dealership doesn't listen to this because, hey, <laughs> that Jeep needs a new differential I didn't tell you about.
1: <laughs> That's on them for not asking specifics. Right? That's, that was
0: my point. Yeah. That's why I didn't sell the car privately, because I didn't mind lying to a car dealership, but I don't like lying to an individual person.
1: Yeah, it's... uh. You know, theft only hurts the end user, and like a corporation, a big deal. But one person, that that hurts. I can see, I can see the end result of that, and I don't like it. But if it's some big wigs' bottom line, big deal.
2: Ooh,
0: big wigs and theft. You just made me want to talk about Kevin Costner, Robin Hood. Ooh, that's. Uh, I don't think anyone said that in a long time. I bet we would be the first podcast to ever cover that movie.
1: It's, uh, he's in the news now. That's my fit. Oh, God.
0: Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many ads I've seen for the Yellowstone <laughs> shit because of watching football lately, but that, that may be my favorite montage ever in, um, in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. That montage when they're building the forest base and they're mm-hmm. raising the bridges in between the trees and they're smelting arrowheads. Oh, and the music is played; It's so good.
1: It's, I know it's like it is not in fashion to love that movie, but I loved it when I was like 12 years old or whenever it came out. I had that soundtrack on CD. Oh, hell yeah. Wore that oh, up. no,
0: I'm blanking. I'm blanking right now. All I can think of is Aerosmith.
1: And nope. I don't want to miss a thing. No, 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 no. You're, no, you're crossing um, the streams. Sean, you're crossing the streams.
0: Anything I do. Oh. So, so I close. would
1: do. Nope. I would do anything no. for love, <laughs> but I won't do that. <laughs> hmm. nope.
0: What's the. What is Ryan Adams? Nope. <laughs> Ryan. No, Brian Adams. There you go. Eh,
2: uh, uh. Hold on, it's gonna
0: come to me. <laughs> well, I would do. Uh. It. No, that way we already did that one. You, you already did that one. Job does it in Arrested Development.
1: Michael, I would do anything. Anyway. <laughs> Sing it, please. Help me. I can't now. I had it in between Aerosmith and Meatloaf, but now I've lost it. Uh and it wasn't What's what what are the words? Um La It's ill oh my guy
2: You can't help oh. me everything, everything Everything I do, everything I do, yes. Everything I do I do with for you.
1: What movie yeah. should we start with? I think we should start dark and then go light. What is, what, is, what is that in this instance? Explain to me what that is in this instance.
0: The Fountain is darker than Arrival. But I had seen both these movies. Okay. And you had only seen The Fountain before, correct? Correct. What do you want to start with? I feel like this is more balls in your court. And also, I'm curious why you chose Arrival kind of out of the blue. Because you chose the first movie here. You chose yes. Arrival, and I responded with The Fountain. Yes. My other two choices for viewers just to no, I-, I also proposed um, Interstellar, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also set a little trap of Enter the Void. Because I really want to... <laughs>
1: Really want to do a
0: Gaspar For No episode, but Josh didn't take the bait.
1: I was, I was very close to doing it. I mean, you had like three movies I'd never seen. Or it would have been three movies I'd never seen, like in, in the mix there. So, yeah.
0: Well, what... I don't know. I, I, I feel like I could talk about both these movies pretty equally as far as at, in depth and at length.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. We'll start with The it, Fountain.
0: You know what? Let's. Let, I'll give it up to you. What's, what's your call?
1: Let's start with The Fountain. Let's go Fountain, then Arrival. Let's arrive okay. at the end.
0: Uh, so we're going to talk about The Fountain first. 2006 movie directed by Darren Aronofsky. And the first thing that made me laugh about this movie is... I talked about how, like, Aronofsky got really weird about Christianity. Uh-huh. After, like, later in his career, after The Wrestler. I did not remember in the slightest that this movie is, like, buried deep in Christianity with, like, the Tree of Life and the Tree of in the Garden of Eden and all this shit. And, like, uh-huh. Aronofsky's been obsessed with Christianity longer than I recalled.
1: Yeah, it opens with uh, a Bible quote. I, I mean, a Bible passage. I know,
0: you know that's my kind of movie. Therefore the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and placed a flaming sword to protect the Tree of Life. You know, when I hear that, that's like, I am fully in now. Adam and Eve and God and, like, Philippians 3.24? Hell yeah, Uh, we're talking my length.
1: That's Genesis 3.24. It's Genesis. Whatever. Philippians, uh... I was never big on the
0: Old Testament, you know? I was more of a New Testament Christian when I was a Christian. Honestly, I I do remember. I was probably like 15, and like very into my Bible study um, youth group, and so I was just like, I decided I was just gonna like read the Bible, start to finish. I was just gonna read mm-hmm. the Bible. I didn't make it that far, but I do recall like reading shit in the Old Testament where it's like, oh yeah. A man can beat his slave if the stick yeah. that he uses does not like is not wider than his thumb. Uh-huh. So you Yeah, and, and stuff like that and shit I was just like I <laughs> like, God, what are you trying to tell me here, man? This seems kinda like fucked up. I don't understand.
1: Uh the the closest thing to Philippians three twenty four I think there's a two twenty four uh, and it is, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly.
0: Boy, ain't that the truth? so that's... I've been working on my keggles though to try to <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sean working blue tonight, I like it.
0: Uh, we're recording late tonight, man, it just.
2: It's, I'm a, I'm a it's different person in your the than I am in the mornings.
0: <laughs> uh, but this is our second Aronofsky, correct? It, it, uh, we kind of started the show with Aronofsky. I believe Pi... Mm-hmm. What was our first episode? Pi and Eight and a Half.
1: Oh, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking it was the Annihilation Stalker, but that was... uh been I second. think that was two. Yeah.
0: I think that was number two. So I remember talking about Aronofsky and him being such an influence on me as far as like Pie was one of the first like really really indie movies I ever watched Mm -hmm. and I saw this one in the theater with my friend a few years after I had watched Pie on DVD and I will say this is the first time I remember falling asleep in a theater
1: (gasps) whoa First of all,
0: I didn't mean to. It's like it wasn't the movie's fault, but it was the first time in my life where I remember I was sitting in a dark theater and I just for the life of me, my fucking eyelids were so heavy. I just could not for the life of me stay awake. And so this movie, when I first saw it in the theater, didn't have an impact, really. Mm-hmm. So I watched it again on DVD. So I haven't. I probably last watched this on DVD when I was, like, 21. So it's been, like, 15 years. Okay. And I remember at the time, I I didn't think I was... I I don't think I was able to, like, fully, like, process stuff. It was interesting, though, watching it again. Because I thought, as a 36-year-old man who is extremely emotional... I, don't, I, I thought maybe this would hit me in a different way, but it, it kind of hit me in the same way that it did when I was 21.
1: I really kind of thought, I mean, I also haven't seen it in
2: 15 years?
1: Probably, yeah. Because it would have been, uh, I remember the house that I was living in at the time, uh, and Kira was only like two or three and moved out of that house, so it had to be 15 13 years, 13, 15 years ago, somewhere in that range. So, but I, I remembered and I, I, it did hit me kind of the same as it did last time, which was, got me a little emotional. Even though I was doing dishes while I watched this movie, I was like, had, I had one of those, uh, I'm putting away the Brita water, water pitcher, picture it right into the, right into the fridge with my left hand. Cause my right hand can't hold it. Uh, And something happens towards the end. And I did a (gasps) one of those just, you know, like a tear is going to come. It's going to happen. And just the sharp inhale. (gasps) Okay. I didn't fall on cry, but it it hit me.
0: You're watching movies just as Aronofsky intended.
1: (laughs) On an iPad. Doing
0: dishes and washing your Brita filter. On an
1: (laughs) iPad? Yes, on an iPad. I, I don't, you know, I don't have a television what do you do, in my kitchen. What do, you do, do you care about this show anymore? <laughs> That's how I watch mini movies. Mini, mini movie, mini? A lot of movies. I thought you were calling this a miniature movie. This is movie. a mini movie. It's, 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 a, it's a little cute movie. It's a little sweet one.
0: I don't know how to feel about this. now. You, you're watching movies for this show on an iPad?
1: Yeah. It's great because, and this is even... How have you not told me this? This is even better. uh, No matter where I'm watching, if it's the iPad or, like, I'll watch it on this, my computer setup uh, sometimes, but I do the split screen so I can take notes on half of it and watch the show, watch the movie on the other half.
0: (laughs) So it's a good... What's your, how, what's, how, what's your audio output?
1: Oh, it's to the headphones. Almost all the time. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you said through the iPad speaker, (laughs) speaker, I was about to just stop the show. (laughs) Like There there would be no more Nashville CA. No. That would have been
1: the end of it. No, I couldn't do that. You you know, you couldn't hear those iPad speakers over the garbage disposal when you're doing the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) You're
0: running your garbage disposal? Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) Jesus Christ, indeed. Oh, we're starting right off the bat in this movie with uh an Adam and Eve quote, talking about the Garden of Eden and shit. Um, and so our main stars here are Hugh Jackman and uh, Rachel Weisz, directed by Darren Aronofsky, who we talked about The Fountain and did Requiem for a Dream and Wrestler. And um, I, I I find it interesting that <laughs> The Whale is up for so many awards and yet, it's still invisible. Yes. There's like, there's no way to watch The Whale. And I feel like they're hiding that movie before the Oscars. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Because you uh, didn't, I I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yes. You were not a fan.
1: Not a fan. Do, do not like that movie. Uh, I don't they use the hashtag like people are amazing or people are awesome or something in conjunction with the movie but the movie itself does not say that and i think that they're putting words in the movie's mouth that it can't support and it's they're putting
0: candy in the movie's mouth too Whoa. so i hear
1: <laughs> and and pizza with jam on it
0: i've i read one review where it's like <laughs> the sound design in the whale you can hear every like lip smack and food thing and i'm like this movie sounds like my nightmare because <laughs> i cannot deal with food like mouth noises with your mis- when mis- we mis-phonia. watch gordon ramsay shows and whatever and they have like the fork mic'd up so you can hear like the smattering of the fork grinding along people's teeth and then the <sniffs> <sniffs> oh it
1: grows me out uh. That's. There was an episode of um, I think it's only happened once or twice of the Great British Bake Off where somebody is eating some cake or what have you, and the fork hits a tooth. You can hear it hit the tooth, and like, <laughs> ugh, like most most of the sounds just kind of slide right past me, but that one oh that fucking gets me. I don't like it. Teeth
2: stuff. Teeth stuff. I. I...
0: I was gonna try to come up with some kind of cool transition about like skulls on pikes showing their teeth to bring up the uh the Indiana Jones of this hall. And also the apocalypto of this hall. That's all. what I thought of. Yeah, so when it when they first start in that hallway, as these Spanish conquistadors <clears throat> push through this hallway of this Mayan temple and there's like traps and a wall pops up and everything. It definitely felt Indiana Jonesy, but as, as more it went along, with, especially in the Mayan stuff, made me think of Apocalypto. What do you think of Apocalypto? I think that movie, like, kicks ass. I I, <laughs> I think Apocalypto's awesome. Uh,
1: I am glad that I'm not alone in that thought. Uh, <laughs> yes. Dis- despite whatever, since then, right? Uh, But, yeah, that movie... Oh,
0: I mean, I I feel like we've... We must have covered other movies on this show. But we covered Bone Bone Tomahawk, Tomahawk, where it's like, I'm not crazy about that movie, but I like that movie. I don't like the director at all. I I feel like we've talked about stuff like that, where we separate the art from the artist, and Apocalypto is definitely one of those cases. Yeah, but... Like, yeah, Mel Gibson, you're a piece of shit, but... Boy, do you know how to shoot a
1: picture? <laughs> <laughs> that, the movie kind of slaps. I, I am, I'm for <laughs> that one. It's, it's a great adventure. Like It's exciting. It's just running. It's running for two hours straight. It's great.
0: So, <clears throat> this movie starts in... It's basically a three-timeline movie. And so we start with a Spanish conquistador and he fights his way through this temple and the the minds push him up to this temple and he uh confronts a priest uh, who stabs him in the gut with a dagger and the priest has a flaming sword which is similar to the the flaming sword from the bible quote and stuff and but then we take a hard turn from this where when that man gets slashed with the fire sword the meditator as i call him wakes up in the future and I feel like I like the Spanish conquistador stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. I like the present-day stuff. But man, I fucking love the future stuff.
1: I was so worried you were gonna you're gonna tip the other way with that. <laughs>
0: oh no, it's it's incredible. And I know Aronofsky, I I I listened to the the commentary track years ago, I think, at some point, and I, I, I wish I could find the, the artist's name who he hired to do this stuff. Hey, this is Sean with an editor's note. That artist's name is Peter Parks. Um, but he hired a guy who did basically chemical reaction film through microscopes, and then used those backgrounds of these like chemical reactions as his representation for space and the cosmos. And I just think it's stunning looking at this bubble ship flying through space in these golden champagne clouds of the cosmos and of this dying star. It, it, the, that future shit blows my mind.
1: It's, I was wondering if, uh, once again, you know, uh, a couple episodes ago, I, I, theorized that you wanted to live on the coast of Ireland in a small town um and you know go to the pub every day and that i can also picture you living like harmoniously in a little eco bubble of your own making
0: this seems okay yeah this this really does seem okay and i i recently read a book called hyperion by dan simmons and um, it's an amazing book. It's fucking rad. Weird sci-fi. It's almost an anthology book. But in that book, which came out in the late 80s, um, there's a spaceship that's just a gigantic tree. And it's a tree that's a spaceship. And so I, I, I did wonder, watching this movie, if Aronofsky had read that or something, because it, it totally reminded me of that But, uh, the background I feel like we have to talk about the music here because Clint Mansell's score for this movie really elevates it and I was curious if he used the same quartet that he did for um, Requiem for a Dream
1: oh the Kronos Quartet I can't
0: validate the Kronos Quartet I can't validate that he did I would imagine he did but this score is excellent and it it gets reused a little much where I feel like it it, it repeats itself a little too much. It could have used one or two more original pieces, but overall it's it's a really tremendous score.
1: So, a couple things. Not only does he use the Kronos Quartet in here um, Mogwai also comes in with the, the heavier elements. Really? Yes.
0: There was, yeah, there was a bit where there was like, it was like that Kronos Quartet song, but there was some drum and some heavier stuff that. I love Mogwai. Yeah. They're a band I forget to listen to, though. When I remember to listen to Mogwai, I'm always happy I do, because they have a great blend of both atmospheric, ambient rock, and then some of their songs get so fucking heavy. And it's like an explosion. And the the main song I'm thinking of, I'll, I'll patch it in here if I remember, is a uh, Christmas Steps by Mogwai. It's like this very gentle song, and then all of a sudden this giant fucking bass comes in that's so distorted and so loud, it's just like <laughs> And it's like it's it's like a jump scare in a song. It it's really mind blowing.
1: Uh so this score uh I would intersperse like every other track onto like my running and training playlist when I was doing Spartan races uh, because it's so driving, but it's not like, like heavy metal gets to be really grinding to listen to while you're running. Like I wind up taking really heavy steps, um, Mm. but anything lighter and I'm like, it doesn't push me hard enough. So something like this is really like a good kind of middle ground for just that, you know, you mix it up with like some Godspeedy black emperor kind of stuff. And you're just in a, you get to a zone when you're training. It's really nice.
0: I was sitting there today thinking about like looking at that bubble shot with the bubble spaceship going through these, these chemical liquid space backgrounds and i was trying to think how would i have scored this and and, and, it, and it was interesting just to kind of put myself in that mindset and i feel like i would have gone like more ambient synth it just and that would have been like an easy way to fall into mm-hmm. it but the strings and the st- What a day for strings with these two movies because we started with this one and then when we get to the Max Richter shit in Arrival, it really made me regret returning that viola that I had (laughs) rented. Because I hadn't found music I was really inspired to learn and play on viola because I'm not really that interested in classical music and stuff. And I I I couldn't think of things that Really appealed to me, and then today we watched two movies where I was like, "Oh, fuck! I would love to have a bowed instrument in my hands right now, and to try to like listen to the score and jump in and figure it out and try to add, or just like fit into that vibe." Because it, they're both both these movies have tremendous scores.
1: That's my notes for both movies was were uh along the lines of, "I bet Sean really enjoys this score." And there was a point with the, the blah kind of sounds in the other one in Arrival that I was like, man, this thing gets used so often incorrectly, but I love yeah. how it was used in Arrival.
0: <laughs> I, I'm very excited yeah. to talk about Arrival. Um, so we got Hugh Jackman who's bald now and, uh, he's future Hugh. Um, And so the story of this guy is he's traveling with the Tree of Life to the Mayan star of Shibulba, which is a dying star. That's a nebula. And base nebula. Thank you. A nebula surrounding a dying star. There you go. Which make gives it a gold look. And so let's just talk about the three stories here to break them down. So starting like chronologically in the past. We have a conquistador who's been sent by the Spanish Queen to find the Tree of Life because she has a Stephen McHattie Inquisitor that's going to kill her. Middle ground, present day, we have Hugh Jackman, who's a scientist working on primates. I don't know specifically what kind. Because his wife Izzy has a brain tumor. And in the future we have the tree of life itself is dying. And he's taking it to Shibulba, the Mayan nebula dying star. So that when the star dies and is basically like bursts, everything will be reborn. This is, I love the layering in this movie and I think it's really powerful and it, it's best conveyed for me with the future guy because essentially this movie is about letting go mm-hmm. that's basically the message of this movie is that we're all dying we're all approaching our end and to try to cling to life and to cling to happiness and, and and to try to avoid and negate that and, and and ignore that or to try to live in defiance of death is futile. And like the the end message here is, we live together forever through death. Basically, is the message of the fountain. And so, like I I loved the metaphor here of this the future traveler. Traveling with the tree of life, yet he's consuming the tree of life. As he's traveling to try to save it, he still needs to consume pieces of this tree in order to keep himself alive. Mm-hmm. And so he's killing this tree as he's trying to save its life. And that's very relatable back to like our present day with Izzy who has the brain tumor and Hugh Jackman, Ian, or uh, I. what's his Tommy. name? Tommy. In the next yeah. one, um, ignoring her and basically like not killing her, but like not spending the time with her and, and consuming her in some ways as he tries to save her.
1: And just the idea that he views his work as he's doing it for her, but yet he's not going to prevent her death. Like whether it's now or in forty years, you know she's going to die, and uh, that that makes me think of something else. Uh, but all he is doing is avoiding dealing with it by trying to defeat it. He he cannot. And spend it seems time his goal
0: is to actually his goal is to stop death. Yes. His goal is immortality, which is like such an absurd overreaction, I feel, to, to the life he was given. Like, but it's, it's one thing to think he could cure his wife's brain tumor so that they could grow old together, but he's not even looking at that now. He, he wants to live forever mm-hmm. with Izzy.
1: That's uh, it actually makes me think of there's a, a Jason Isbell song that's uh, Elizabeth and I used in playlists early on when we were we recording. Um, that it's called If We Were Vampires. Uh, and it talks about how basically if we could live forever, um, together we would, but at most we've got 30 or 40 years, uh, and then one of us is going to have to be alone and kind of accepting that. That's what makes the time you have beautiful is that there is a limit to it. And that's what in this movie, Tommy is not dealing with the actual, like, day to day reality of living with her by trying to fight her disease.
0: Present day Tommy frustrates me (laughs) to, like, the nth degree. I'm so. So frustrated by this man and his... I I understand what it is. It's absolute denial, Mm -hmm. combined with like a god complex of not only am I in denial about my wife's condition, but I also believe that I'm the person that can not only save her, but can save humanity from death.
1: And As she gets worse, he gets more intense. And just it it becomes damn it, Tommy, over and over again because he's he's choosing the fight over the time with her. And she comes off like you could read it as a little like manic pixie dream girl, you know, she's like, no, come out in the snow and like let's let me show you the nebula and let's go to the museum together so we can talk about. The, the Mayan God of death. Um, you know, it's like, it could be cute and quirky, but it's her exploring her own mortality and his refusal to do so.
0: I think Rachel Weisz does a really beautiful job in this movie of, I feel like we, as the audience are introduced to her after the four stages of grief. Mm-hmm. We're almost introduced to her at her fifth state, which is acceptance. And we watch Tommy go through all of the other stages. But, you know, as Ellen Burstyn says towards the end of the movie, like, what an incredible thing for a person to obtain grace before death. And I think Weiss does like a really wonderful job of portraying that without being over the top manic pixie girl kind of thing where i do believe that's like i feel the sadness behind her a lot of times like behind her eyes but still like when she's out looking at that telescope you know i i i, mm. I feel both like the sadness and the excitement and the the peace that she's made with
1: things So when, in that, in that scene, when they shoot her singles, she is surrounded by lights. Like there's Christmas lights or something behind her, but they're all out of focus. And it's just this beautiful, like soft image of her face with these lights behind her. And then his side is just drab behind him. It's like vines and a wall. And you you don't see, you see no kind of light or anything. And it's just like, she is this. You know, she's in, I think she's in all white or like kind of cream hat and sweater. She's like a white beanie, yes. white sweater. Yeah. And she's like, she just looks beautiful and, you know, uh not in a purient way, but simply like in a uh angelic kind of way, I think that they're trying to portray her as having achieved some sort of grace.
0: Yeah, well, then when she's portrayed as the the queen of spain and she says like let the morning light in so much light comes in (laughs) that she's extremely overexposed to the point where she's like a shining white beacon Mm -hmm. of purity in this face it looks like it, it looks inhuman
1: uh also the production design in her chambers or whatever it is that we're in uh, when she's the queen of Spain is amazing. I love that set.
0: Yeah, I think the set design is wonderful. We we've talked about Matthew Libatique before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think through Pi, probably. Yeah, but he's he's probably shot some other movies we've covered. But again, I think this movie's wonderfully shot. The set design is really cool. Uh, but by far, I would say it kind of. Future Set's my favorite. Conquistador Second is, is second. And um The modern day stuff I think it works because it's so science lab devoid of like emotion mm-hmm. where this guy works. And they have like chimpanzees or whatever primates like in the back in cages and one thing so they're giving these primates brain tumors, right? They're in- intentionally infecting them with brain tumors to then operate on them. I don't That's what I would assume. I don't know
1: how else. I don't know how you would induce a brain tumor in in something. But also I don't know how else you're finding all of these chimpanzees with brain tumors. Unless you're farming them. And this
0: brings up a point of like, well... So now I want to think Tommy's a piece of shit. But at the same time, I'm well aware of the fact that I've surely in my life consumed medications that were first tested on animals. Mm -hmm. And so I've received the benefits of this kind of testing which is just another one of those things where it's like, boy, being human really has a, lo- <laughs> has a lot of contradictions yeah. to it. And a lot of like things that like I don't like about it, even though they're necessary for us to survive.
2: Um, I don't remember...
1: Two of the actors uh, in the present timeline who work in the um lab with him. They're not on the cast list.
0: Oh, is my name is Earl Guy?
1: Yes. The he, he was the bully in Mallrats. <laughs> That's what I think of it. whoever as. that guy is, yes. yeah. Um and then the other guy who is like seems to be the three of them are searching through the lab to find the extract from the tree. Um and the third dude's role is primarily to look at Tommy like he's insane over and over again. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. That's a, that's a Especially near the end. There's like, there's like a five second shot of him just like staring at Tommy of like, have you lost your mind? Yes, exactly. What's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but so Tommy, I like, and I like what this movie's saying here. like, when if, if somebody gets so fixated on trying to fix the problem that they, they, they negate the relationship itself and the person itself. And so like when when Izzy shows up at his office and says, Oh, it's it's the first day of snow. Mm-hmm. We always go for a walk. And it's just like
2: that it's it's so sad for me
0: that that walk would mean so much more. And especially years down the road for this guy who buried himself in his office and isolated himself away from his wife. That walk will be a gigantic regret. And we see that because that her asking him to go on that walk, I think is shown two, if not three times through this movie.
1: The, um, him in that chair, like he's sitting kind of hunched over uh his work and she startles him and you see I love how they show future uh space traveler like sitting in the chair. The he's bald and he's he's in his like Tai Chi robes or whatever. Uh and then when it cuts back, it's present day Tommy. To like interconnect all these different pieces.
0: There's some really cool transitions. There's another one where he's grazing the arm of, uh, or like the the branch of the tree, and then that fades into her arm. Or there's stuff where he's speaking to the the bark of the tree, and the hair raises, and then that transitions to her the hairs on the back of her neck, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. There's a lot of really beautiful transition shots and stuff where I, uh, you could tell like this was storyboarded probably years in advance of this movie being produced.
2: Um, just the, to me, the
1: cojones, I guess to take this on the fact that this originally had double the budget and was supposed to star Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett.
0: Really? Yes. I had no idea.
1: So that's why he wound up with the visuals that he did, because he had to do something that was lower budget than this like CGI spectacle that he was going to do.
0: What a blessing. Yes. What a blessing, because nothing... I've never seen anything that looks like the future presentation of this movie. Mm -hmm. It's towards the end of this movie when the spaceship breaks into Shibulba Mm -hmm. and it's it's champagne clouds with like sparks raining down as waterfalls through the cosmos. It's it's jaw dropping. It's it's some of like the most. Individually beautiful frames. Just to like, if you just took a frame from that right there and you put it up on your wall, Mm -hmm. it's, it's some of the most beautiful imagery
1: I've ever seen in a movie. That the shot after the nebula goes dark and then blasts him again. Yeah, and his body is being dragged up like almost by his belly button, like if there was a string in his belly button, and his arms are thrown back and. the the lights are streaming off of him and it looks like he's feeding the tree. Like his life force is now feeding the tree as they both fly through the, through the nebula. Uh, yeah, it's like, he looks like he's become an angel. The tree is growing again and it's covered in light. And like, I don't know what format I want that in, but it's beautiful. I I don't know if it's like a lithograph or if I want like a coffee table book with some of this stuff in it and that kind of photography in it. But it's amazing looking.
0: I agree. and Or even just like the... Uh, it's more just like, if I see Aronofsky do it later in like Noah and stuff, but like, the silhouette Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. Where it's just a man doing Tai Chi as a silhouette against the stars. And that's the, that's the shit that I'm really into, where I'm like, Aronofsky, go for it, dude. Right. Go for it. Do as much, like, artistic, pretentious shit as you want, because I'm here for it. And I feel like that's where the the present-day story slows the movie down a little bit for me. Where, like, every time we get into either the Conquistador or the future story, I'm, like, really, really engaged. But the present-day story, it it doesn't have the visual flair of the, the other parts. And so I'm not saying it's bad or anything, but it's just I'm not I'm not compelled like I am with the, the first and second or the first and last third.
1: That's uh, there are a couple moments like there's a moment with him in an elevator where he's staring at this pattern on the wall. Dude,
0: what's with that elevator wall? <laughs> that elevator wall blew my mind. And it's just I didn't know what I was looking at. Uh-huh. And it's just like a strip of metal. With four panels, but I thought I might be looking at like a satellite image of the. I, I I had no idea. That was an incredible shot.
1: That's there's something about like because the ring that the queen gives him has like a woven uh thing in the middle of it. You know, it's uh it's like a gold ring, but the the decoration around the outside is like this woven pattern, and the kind of woven pattern on the wall looked similar to me, and I was like, is this his ring? Because present-day Tommy loses his ring past Tommy, uh, keeps it in a pouch, and future Tommy has it as a tattoo.
0: I think that's very valid. I I, I really do. I, I think there's a lot of visual iconography and like links in this movie mm-hmm. like that, that you can totally read into.
1: So another thing I would have liked to see is a continuation of any other characters beyond Tommy and Izzy through the different time periods. Um, just because I th- I think it would have been cool. But also, uh, we get um, Hector Salamanca <laughs> as a priest. Mark in- Margolis. Mark Margolis in Which, this movie. Okay,
0: so seeing Margolis in this, and then, I mean, it's first seeing him in Pi. And mm-hmm. seeing him in this, and then again in um Better Call Saul. I'm really amazed how old they made him look in Pi. Yes. He looks ancient in Pi he looks as old in Pi as he did in Better Call Saul. And then in this movie, they he was like de-aged ten years from his character in Pi. hmm He looked like a younger man. I was a little I was like, ah, I wish I wish Margolis had more here. Mm-hmm. Just because I love Mark Margolis, and I, I I think it's cool that Aronofsky brought him forward. I wish Aronofsky had brought Sean hoosie oh, yeah, from Pi. Huh?
1: I don't remember his name, but yeah. <laughs> yeah well, uh, Sean,
0: uh, it'll come to me at some point, but I wish he had shown up in this movie somewhere.
1: Uh, we also have Cliff Curtis as like his right-hand man in the conquistador um era which cliff curtis was in um sunshine another oh he
0: was yeah Yeah, danny boyle yep yeah i I was trying to picture because cliff curtis i i recognized him from a few things but he's a guy i can't really specifically pinpoint to any one role. Sunshine's a good one, though. He was, like, the, the captain of the ship in Sunshine. Yeah. We gotta talk Sunshine sometime. I love
1: Sunshine. Uh,
0: Is Sunshine's a movie where it's, like, I feel like I've worked hard to defend it, and I am really curious now if I actually like that <laughs> movie, or if I was just working hard to defend
1: it. Uh, I think before I re- rewatched this, I kind of felt the same way about this one. Like, I watched it once, I watched it once with the commentary, um, back in the day, and the extras and stuff. And ever since then, I was like, I actually, before I ever started it, I was looking it up on Letterboxd and found somebody's uh one-star review, and I sent it to former guest uh, Andrew Ford, like, get a load of this guy. Like, boo to this man. <laughs> just because <laughs> it's... I think just on sheer... The fact that... Aronofsky is taking the swing with this movie that he is. I I, like, I would have to give it credit. Even if I didn't enjoy it, there's something in me that is just like, you made this batshit crazy movie with 15 minutes at the beginning where we don't even see our actual main characters. We see the conquistador and the, the space pilot, but, but we don't see Tommy and Izzy as a couple until, like, 12 or 15 minutes into this movie. <laughs> it's got to be so off-putting for people.
0: For a second, I thought you were talking about Skinnamarink, a movie <laughs> where I admire the huge swing taken, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and for the first 15 minutes, we don't see a main character, and then for the next 70 minutes, we don't, don't see, see a, a main, main character. character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and while I, It's such a weird movie it's like, while I... Didn't enjoy my experience at all watching Skinamarink. Hey, hats off to you for having the balls to take that swing.
1: That's... I loved my experience watching Skinamarink, but I loved the experience. I don't love the movie. Your review
0: is wonderful. Thank you. I, 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 I loved your review of Skinamarink. Listeners should check it out on Letterboxd at Josh Ickes. Great... Really, like wonderful in-depth personal review about like everything that that movie brought out of you. But then I love at the end you say, "But I brought I brought these things to the front. The movie didn't really do it."
1: Mm-hmm. And for uh, I went with our our mutual friend uh, Russell uh, to see the movie and. He was on one side. Uh, my friend, he loves it. Yeah, I think he
0: was four and a half.
1: Yeah, and Ed, um, who was on the Nope episode, uh, uh, Ed sat on the other side, and he was laughing through half of it. I was like somewhere in the middle. Russell seemed to be enraptured. <laughs> the people behind us were pissed off. It was like it was the weirdest screening <laughs> <laughs> I've been to. I expected walkouts, but I don't think we had any walkouts.
2: I don't think I would have...
0: I don't think I would have walked out. I don't know. I, I, it was easy for me to, like, 15 minutes in to skin him a rink, just be like, okay, this is what this is. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, like, turn off all of my expectations or whatever. And maybe... I do think, like, our previous guest, Connie, saw that movie... In a packed theater, and she said it was like dead quiet, except for when somebody dropped a bottle and it like rolled down (laughs) the rows and down the (laughs) stairs. But, but I feel like that's like when I saw the Blair or not Blair Witch, um, Paranormal Activity, when I saw that for the first time ever, it was in like limited release at a midnight screening, and it was a packed theater and it was silent, and I think that added to the experience and the tension. And so I do feel like with Rink had I been watching it not at home by myself but in a theater with but I don't want people laughing. Had I heard Ed laughing, I would have been annoyed as yes. shit. So, um yeah, I it, but in the right circumstance, maybe that movie might have been scary. I don't know. I admire it though. Yeah. I think Do I admire it though? (laughs) I don't know.
1: I don't know if I admire the person who made it. Like I I admire the balls. uh, It's Kyle Edward Ball. Is his name actually?
0: (laughs) Good one, Uh, Ellen Ballston.
1: (laughs) Uh, But he brought Ellen Burston from. work room for a dream into this
2: movie as well which I love yeah and
0: she doesn't have um like a ton to do here I, except she does kind of get her scene at the end where she gets that scene at the end of giving the eulogy mm-hmm. and that's um but I like Burstyn in this and she's just one of she's the main person trying to keep Tommy in check trying to be like dude you are borderline like torturing animals and
2: being a mad scientist basically mm-hmm. uh-huh.
0: um and and Tommy only seem, Tommy does not listen to like hardly anyone except for her basically when people have birds in their house as Tommy and Izzy do do you think they're weird that's, I, I, I find people who keep birds in the house to just be strange.
1: Uh, there's so many unintended links that I found between these movies.
0: I know. <laughs> I didn't even realize that the, then the, the canary in, yeah. uh, in Arrival.
1: Uh, but yeah, I would say b- bird people, I don't want to offend anybody. But on the whole... Bird people, weirder than dog people.
0: Y'all fucking weird bird people. I was gonna say Y'all weird, (laughs) okay? My friends in high school, his parents had like two cockatiels and they would just like scream in middle of the night in their cage and it's like, all right, these birds are clearly upset. Their wings are clipped. This is like cruel to them. But then the fact that they're like not good pets and they screech and are annoying this is just cruel to everyone this is
1: horrible yeah um did you did you ever stay over at their house and experience that like
0: no i just went over he wasn't like a close friend of mine it was more just like a guy went over to his house in the evening and then went home or whatever i i never had to sleep through that shit i i there was no way okay no way
1: Yeah, I had a friend who I only stayed at their house one time uh, and they had birds and I could not deal with uh, the birdiness of it all. It was it was scary because they're like little dinosaurs for one thing. Like, yeah, I I always feel like they're going to bite me uh, even if I like what if they get loose and what if they get out? But they're noisy. They smell weird. In, granted, I have cats. I understand things that are noisy and smell weird. But, <laughs> but cats can at least cuddle with me. Like, birds don't generally, you know...
0: Cats are not loud like birds. Birds are loud on another level.
1: Okay, Hopkins has started this thing where at about 5.45 in the morning, he starts yowling.
0: Yeah, but that's, that's 5.45. It's time to get up.
1: I don't want to get up, though. I want to get up at 6.30.
0: No, I wouldn't deal with it either. Is is your door closed? He's yelling through the door? Yes. Because it's, it's
1: breakfast? Yep. Yeah. It, mm. And he does it later in the day, too. Like, if I lock him out of the door, if I'm working from home and I lock him out of the room, he will do the same thing. Because uh, he's an entitled little asshole.
0: Well, that's what you get when you name a cat after Anthony Hopkins.
1: Listen, Anthony Hopkins... Uh, hashtag Is an
0: entitled little asshole <laughs> uh,
1: I was going to say hashtag That's my no, handle I have
0: no idea actually Is Anthony Hopkins well liked on set? I have no I, idea I
1: think he's considered to be a nice guy I think
0: he really is Okay, well, then I feel bad about what I just said <laughs> um, So in the fountain Oh, bump the mic uh, Is he uh, we find that Izzy's actually writing the book, the story of The Fountain. This is a very meta movie in like a lot of ways. There's a lot of layers to this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was a really cool aspect of it. And I love that she's she's writing. Basically, she says that it starts in Spain as a conquistador and it ends on that star. And later when we get her I, at the, the Mayan Museum.
2: The last night I was with him, he told me about his father who had died, but Moses wouldn't believe it. No, no, listen. Listen. He said if they dug his father's body up, he would be gone.
1: They would planted a seed over his grave. The seed became a tree. Moses said his father became part of that tree. grew into the wood, into the bloom, and when a sparrow ate the tree's fruit, his father flew with the birds. He said, death was his father's road to awe. That's what he called it.
2: To grow
0: to awe that really got me her speech there like both these movies got me to an emotional point and I think that was the part that really got me there was that idea of like transference and a passing on of life energy and carbon and everything and it's, it's one thing that I, I, I think about with what do I want to do with my body Mm-hmm. Do I want to be cremated or do I want to be buried? And in the end I don't feel like I don't really care, but I do like the idea of if you're buried you're you're giving your like nutrients and everything back to the earth and back to the plants and the fungus, and the fauna, and everything to to grow anew, a, as I did from them. Like, all, all of the carbon and everything, and all the nutrients that I took from the vegetables that I ate growing up, and everything, to then, like, give that back to the plants makes me happy. But then I also feel like the the, the comfort and ease of a cremation... Is also kind of nice. I don't know. I, I still haven't really made my mind up on this one.
2: Um, I believe
1: I would like to be uh, put into a cannon and shot into the air.
0: And then just like a 90 degree vertical. So you shoot straight up and then <laughs> just land straight back down in just a giant splatter as all your family members are mortified.
1: No, I think a, a 60 degree. Give me sixty, like just shoot me okay. into the distance, uh, and everybody can into
0: the th- forests of Tennessee. Yes,
1: and you know I can I can nourish the 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 nature that way.
0: I mean, fair enough. I like it. I there was. Um... I don't remember what I was watching but there's like body farms where people donate their bodies mm. to science yeah. and then they'll they'll leave you they'll leave you like in a dumpster just to see like what kind of bugs show up on your body or whatever right. or like half bury you in a trash bag and see what kind of like decay happens then and then but then use all of that information in the future to then um do forensics um forensic science and stuff
1: and, so they can do CSI anymore
0: yeah but i like the idea of like my dead body contributing to something and i feel like through cremation maybe that's not quite happening mhm but i also like the ease the idea of cremation is easy it's like you don't need to have like a whole ceremony and also i don't want to be buried like in a that's the other thing. Is like, if I were to be buried, I don't want to be buried in just like a cemetery with like eight thousand other motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be buried like, <laughs> like out in the woods somewhere. You know, yeah. like I I don't want to. I don't like crowds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the ultimate irony, he hated crowds and he gets buried in a very popular cemetery.
0: He hated crowds, but man, was he lonely. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, oh, that one hits a little deep.
0: <laughs> um, my god okay, I I don't know. Oh, Izzy so Izzy's losing her hot and cold sense, so she's out looking at the telescope. They go inside, they get into the bath. This bathtub scene stressed me out. Yeah, so much. they're spilling so much water, and it looks like they have hardwood floors in that bathroom. And I'm just like, "Do you know what happens to hardwood floors when they get soaking wet with bathtub water?" And they swell and they do weird shit, and then ugh. I was getting really stressed out.
1: All I could think of is uh, it leaking down to the floor below uh, like but settling in between the floor and the ceiling of the next level and then causing rot and mildew.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's how you get mold. Yeah. You want mold? That's Talking in mold. the bathtub is how you get mold. Is this the only time we see them intimate with each other? I believe it is.
1: Um... Yeah, we see them sleeping next to each other uh in the hospital bed and once but, in their bed I I, I just think
0: it's sad that Tommy's fixation on the job and of work is it just robs these end of days of, of like any kind of romance or love. It it's so dry here with Izzy and and I it's, it's so beautiful, Rachel Vice is, is he, like, not... The grace she has is that she's able to maintain her peace of mind and positivity even, even as, like, her husband is being s- such, like, an asshole mm-hmm. in so many ways. And the fact that she's able to, like, she doesn't sink down to his level ever.
1: No, she tries to bring him she, up
0: she tries to bring him up and that it's like that grace Ellen Burstyn talks about at the end. I feel like that's the prime example of it is just like she, she, what a beautiful person she is. And she does seem to have like wisdom, gained wisdom at the end of what's important. And yeah, just to never, to never sink down to his level is so
2: beautiful. But
1: still, they shouldn't fuck in
0: the tub. <laughs> no, no, they, they should fuck in the tub, but what they should do is they should pull the plug and drain about a, half of, a third to half of the water, then plug the tub in, and then go for it, because then you're going to be splashing around, but you're just going to get droplets spilled all over the floor, and those are easily dried they are like sloshing mm-hmm. gallons of water onto the floor with each hump <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh. but the other stuff he
1: said is beautiful as well so i just had to break yeah. the the earnestness there
0: and so at this point this is where like donovan the the primate they've been working on he starts to get better but it seems like they haven't solved a cure for tumors, but they have found the fountain of youth
2: mm-hmm. with
0: like an infinite healing and hair growth and everything, and now the it's twice as smart and all this shit. But Tommy doesn't give any shit about any of this because the tumor hasn't changed.
1: And that's, he wants to scrap all of the the work, basically, because all they're, all they're supposed to be doing is looking for ways to shrink tumors, and he doesn't care about the rest of it, which is pure insanity.
0: Well, the insanity of this guy, as Ellen Burstyn says later, like, no drug is, has ever been made overnight, or something like that. Mm-hmm. No medicine has ever been made overnight. What you're doing is insane. Like the fact that he's testing on primates within weeks of his wife's inevitable death and he thinks that he's going to be able to make a, like a human safe version of this it, it, it's madness he's a mad scientist
1: uh as we find out later the when the um the drug actually starts working in the way that he wants. She is so close to the end, but yet he still thinks that there's a chance that he is going to save her. It's, th- yeah. it's hubris at that point and utter denial.
0: And we get that with future man too, as the, the tree of life is decaying in front of him and he continues to consume it. But he says, we're so close and in both stories the fact that you know that his love dies in both stories so close to salvation but that's it wasn't salvation it was never salvation there was that's not what it was it was him needing to learn
2: and is that,
0: that... to live to live forever is not to Manipulate death, but it's to to become con- like comfortable with it, and to the idea of as um, Izzy says at one point, she loves the idea of death as creation. Mm-hmm. And she says like, "What do you think about that?" And I feel like by the end of this movie, that's basically what we get, especially with the the meditative man. Well, we get it with the present guy too, where when Tommy plants that seed, it's okay i i I understand now that acceptance acceptance is the only way to eternal life it basically is like to accept the fate that we are all destined to that's the only way to live forever to try to fight against it is futile
1: but that's also uh the conquistador version when he finally gets through the temple uh by sacrificing the the priest the mayan priest um and he gets through the temple and he drinks of the tree of life uh and then immediately is turned into flowers like
0: well he doesn't I like that he starts with like a subtle stab into the tree with that dagger, mm-hmm. and then he sees the white sap and it heals his cut. And so what does he do? He does the most human thing possible. Instead of just taking what he's given, he twists the dagger and he opens a like a gaping wound in this tree and he consumes like everything, mouthfuls of it and, and immediately becomes a greedy asshole. Mhm. And, and, and just and again the the idea of like in each of these stories, Hugh Jackman's character is consuming um, Rachel Weisz's representation. Whether mm-hmm. she's represented as a person or a tree, he is consuming her to prolong his own life, yet saying that he's doing it so he can prolong their love. And I think the really beautiful message by the end of this movie is that Love endures through death, and that's just a piece we we all need to come, come to acceptance with.
1: So, what do you make of the last time uh, she comes to, to ask him to go walk, and f- at first he blows her off, but then he follows her? Like... Is he getting another chance? Is this the ideal version where he learned that the thing that he should appreciate is the time with her uh, and making those memories that he, that he'll get to reflect on in the future.
0: That, that scene is shown about three times where she pops her head into his office and asks him to walk Mm -hmm. with her. And each time as he's walking out of his office, the, my name is Earl guy grabs him and says, We need to go to operation. What happened? So what I don't recall, like the last time, did did it change in the last in the last instance? The last
1: instance, um, it cuts to him looking down the hallway and then cuts to outside, which we've seen before. We've seen Rachel Vice walking by herself. And in the last one, we see him running to catch up with her uh, and, you know, saying, Izzy, Izzy, wait.
2: interesting i doesn't seem like he would have done that in the present day um i don't know <laughs> it's a tricky one yeah
1: um like i'm i like to think that maybe through while he was sitting there this is he was meditating on the past and the future uh But see, this is where the two movies link up, (laughs) is this mixing of the past and the future, the present, and the idea that um, spending time with the person that you may or may not lose is the true gift, and that love is worth it, even the pain that you'll go through. Like, there's a direct correlation between these two messages here i
0: i I think we nailed the double feature yeah this week which is great because you you were kind of picking blind yes (laughs) totally blind i just uh
1: as a matter of fact
0: you asked so why between inner why why did you not want to watch interstellar or enter the void
1: uh well i picked Arrival because I'm going through every movie in my Apple movies list and I see Arrival towards the top of the list all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, I've got to watch it because, and everyone has told me it's good. Um, and, uh, I wanted something that I had seen before to pair it with. So, you know, and I wanted to like check back in on the fountain and see if I still had feelings for it.
0: Did you even clock that, like with Aronofsky being up for Oscars with The Whale? To watch another Aronofsky movie, because I, I didn't even really make that connection until like today, while I was watching. It's like, oh yeah, Aronofsky is kind of in the headlines right now.
1: Um, I did not. I uh, well, I haven't. I didn't realize The Whale was up for a bunch of awards. Honestly, uh, isn't it? Because because I have tried to tune it out.
0: Oh, I, I, I don't know how many awards it's up for. I, feel, I, I just assumed it was, or like I assumed Frasier was up for... I don't know. Maybe it's, it's not up for many awards at all.
1: Um, it is up for actor, actress, and makeup and hairstyling. That's a lot in my book. Which um, actress uh, is Hong Chao, who has been in everything I've seen this year for some reason. Um I she was in Poker Face, which I just saw uh, her episode. Um, but she was also in the menu, and I just I had watched Inherent Vice not too long ago, and she's in Inherent Vice. That's the first thing I saw, and uh so it just seems like she's everywhere. So and she's good. She's good in the whale. A lot of the performances are good in the movie. Ugh. Mm. Ugh. Also this is the third Aronofsky we've talked about because we talked about Black Swan. Oh, shit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, do I, I forget about that. I did not do. Aronofsky's one non-Christian movie.
1: <laughs> the only one.
0: Yeah. So, um, I don't know what you have left. You know, we got, he starts tattooing himself a wedding ring with the fountain pen, the fountain, and it's the story that is writing the the book with it's it's very meta in a lot of ways mm-hmm. i'm i'm really impressed with izzy being able to write a novel in calligraphy fountain pen first draft without making any mistakes or changes to the story just <laughs> she she writes a book and she gets it right the first time
1: uh, to be fair, we only see like three lines of the book. Like the rest could be scribbles. Her calligraphy. Wow, her calligraphy is stunningly beautiful. Yeah, uh, and the whole the whole thing is he is supposed to write the ending. Like she tells him, "No, you know how it's supposed to end. You know how it's going to end." And she gives him the so, pen in the uh, book. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I I like the ending that he writes, which is basically. Tree Man realizes that he's going to die. But through death, then they will live together forever. And that's when he, like, climbs... That shot of him, like, climbing up the tree mm-hmm. of life is very cool and floaty. And, the, you know, they had huge Jackman on a wire rig. And when he ascends into his own bubble, into Shabulba, as that star collapses and explodes, as you said before it's it's just such a beautiful, cool shot, and and then we get um oh shit, I, I lost what I was gonna say about Jackman in the present day, basically oh his his ending to the story, so that's part of the ending to the story that he writes, and then the other one is yeah the the conquistador who gouges on the tree of life. And it consumes him and kills him, but then feeds the roots of the tree of life. And so I like that this guy, he writes a good ending to his wife's book. Mm -hmm. It's a fitting ending. And it's a fitting ending for him as a character to come to that conclusion that acceptance is the only way forward. Because it's just, this is like the like the shitty curse we've been dealt not only as humans but as every single cell of life to exist in this cosmos is we're destined to live and then die and something else to take our place and to fight against that
2: is just it, it it's it's a
0: waste of energy and the it and it's fighting it's creating a fight where there should just be love.
1: That's all I got. That was good. That was very good. Um, I wanted to, to like stand up and clap, but I realized this is the audio medium, so it wouldn't really come across <laughs> very well.
0: Uh, That's all I got. Tommy plants a seed on Izzy's grave, yeah, a tree seed, to basically give her the road to awe where she can one day fly through the bird that eats the fruit off of her tree. and It's a beautiful ending. Also, they seem to bury Izzy in the middle of just, like... (laughs) Not in a graveyard.
1: Well, no, because earlier, um, uh, Ellen Burstyn's character uh, visits Izzy, and Izzy says that they agreed that she could be buried on her farm, which I assumed, like... Okay. I didn't I didn't assume that she'd be buried in the middle of the field. <laughs> which is what they seemingly did.
0: It's a little random. I feel like Izzy's grave's gonna get rototilled up yeah. when they go to plant next year's wheat crop or something. Um. But that's the fountain, huh?
1: That is. That's the fountain. You got
0: anything else for this
1: one? Um. No. I it 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 held up for me better than i thought it would and i think has only gained resonance for me
0: i i really liked it i do feel like it brought emotions out of me but it also brought emotions out of me of like thinking back on my dad and thinking recently about buster and love, transcending death, and that kind of thing. And I think more emotion was pulled from me through my own experience mm-hmm. than through like the the story itself in this one. I do think like there's a point near the end where when Hugh Jackman I think he's tattooing himself and he fully breaks down. And that's Tommy is like the emotional break. B-R-A-K-E. B-R-A-K-E. Yeah. Yes. He, he hits the breaks. And, and so it's hard to dive deep into the emotion on this one when you have a protagonist who's clearly guarding his and fighting his emotions constantly versus something like we might see in the next movie coming up. So uh, for me, I I really liked this. It was it was definitely an emotional viewing, but I think that was more due to my oh shit my camera fell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a, what an ending!
0: Uh, I think it was more due to my emotional state in current and like recent history. Uh, four out of five, four out of five for me. Okay, very good movie, but I. I, w- I thought maybe it would have a deeper resonance or impact on me than it did.
2: Understand- what did you think? Understandable. That's, uh. I mean, it, I think it did
1: for me. Um. It brought a lot of that, those ideas out in me, even though I don't have a lot of the experience, especially as of late, that you do. Uh, and I kind of wondered if If it would hit you Simply because of what you've been through lately uh, And I was a little worried I always worry about you buddy When we're, we're treading around Some of these topics And a few weeks ago when I didn't know the horse Or the, the, the donkey was gonna Choke on some fingers uh, Yeah I, f- I feel bad that I'm putting you through these things
2: <laughs> A little bit No it's okay I do. I don't know. I I flash back sometimes to
0: the last moments there, and uh, yeah, it it's bad sometimes. It hurts, but it was really beautiful too. Mm-hmm. So it was like a really, you know, lying there with him, sending him away with love and. I don't know. It is like really bad but also really good and beautiful and so yeah tons of movies bring this shit out of me and I think I relate to this movie. It's just like in the end it's beautiful and in the end I don't regret anything and I love every moment of pain and every moment's a blessing. Even the ones that really hurt. And the ones that really suck and everything, it's like, I don't know, it, it, life is all a blessing in the end, even when it's really shitty. And movies
2: are a good way to remind me of that.
1: How can I follow up any of that, Sean? I can't.
0: I don't know. All Let's right. take a Let's break go and break. go on to the next movie. All right. <laughs> but you rate it, by the way? Four and a half. All right, bye. Okay. Up next, we are going to be talking about Arrival, 2016 sci-fi movie directed by Denis Villeneuve. And um, it's our second Denis movie after Blade Runner 2048. And you hadn't seen this one before. I'd seen this in theaters. And I was really surprised for you to pick this one out of the blue. Because mm-hmm. this was your choice. I just said, Josh, we've had problems scheduling our guests lately. No problem of theirs that just shit comes up. It's fine. We'll get we'll get to it. We needed to get an episode done. Josh, what do you want to talk about? And you said arrival, and I'm like, Oh arrival? <laughs> one of maybe my favorite movies of all time and one of the most incredible theatrical experiences I've ever had. Yeah. I'll fucking talk about a with you.
1: <laughs> Why did you pick this? Um, like I said, it's been sitting at the top of my iTunes. I see it every day. I have, to date, 1,201 movies on my Apple Movies list. And that's far that too need many. need to be watched? No, that's total. In, okay. in total, there are 1,201. But many of those I need to watch. Um, or are ones that I've seen before but haven't seen since I got them.
2: Five hundred and one movies need to be watched.
1: Is that he said? Movies and to-to. toto got it. Took me a second, but I got there. Um, also, <laughs>
0: it's it's late, folks. It's <laughs> seven twenty-two p.m. here. It's late <laughs> bedtime.
1: Um, my neighbor uh, had told me after I told him that I loved Annihilation. He was like, "Oh, you have to watch Arrival." Because we were talking about science fiction movies that came out, out around the same time, I guess.
0: I'm sorry, you talk movies with your neighbor? Yes.
1: I talk movies I'm with everybody. i so jealous. Yeah. I, I talk soccer with my next-door neighbor. I talk movies and music with my across-the-street neighbor. And, and old cars with the guy that loves Caddy Corner.
0: I used to hang out and drink beer and go watch football with my neighbor across the street. And then he sold his house to two women who watch Fox News and call the cops. I'm the only black guy in the neighborhood who lives
1: here. uh, I don't like them. (laughs) Uh, No,
0: not a fan. Not a fan. And then uh, I have a cop who lives next door to me. Uh, Yeah. Cool. I got neighbors. I used to have fun neighbors. I used to have my friends down the street who were fun, and I would watch movies with them. And then, you'll get this. They decided to throw a fucking wrench in their lives and have a kid on purpose.
1: Nope.
0: Don't do that. No. Because now, we went to breakfast recently, but I basically don't see them anymore. Mm -hmm. To the point where my friend asked... How are the pups doing? Cause I'm pretty sure he forgot that I put Buster to sleep. Ooh. That's... That's friends for you, buddy. Oh golly. <laughs> golly. I don't think I've cried before in this show. I think I've teared out. I don't think I've ever cried on the show before until tonight. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Okay. Arrival. Back to Arrival. Yes. I've never cried faster in a movie we've watched than this one. (laughs) Really? Because I've seen this before. Mm. No, because I've seen this before. So when it starts right off the bat with the Max Richter adagio for strings or whatever that song is. With Um. Amy Adams doing the voiceover. And it's like a, a montage of her daughter. And I'm... I know the full story right? and so I know what choice she's made and what's happened so this time re-watching this movie I, I, I was tearing up within like one minute of this starting and it's complete musical manipulation but it's also exquisitely shot and I think AD, Amy Adams
1: is incredible in this movie Um, Okay, not only is uh, it's Max Richter, um, uh, the other one, I don't remember who it is, but this, this music is on the nature of daylight, which is also featured in Shutter Island and in the third episode of The Last of Us. Uh, which I just oh, watched like two cool. weeks ago. So
0: I've I've only watched the first episode of Last of Us. Okay. I did watch Shutter Island years ago, but yeah, I, I know this Max, Max Richter song. I believe it is called "On the Nature of Daylight." Mm-hmm. Now that you remind me,
1: Samuel Barber. I know Barber. it's been used. A Samuel Barber. Sean, Samuel
0: Barber is from Sean, Platoon.
1: Sean Gallette
0: Sean Gallette <laughs> I thought you were telling me like Sean Gallette was in Platoon when Samuel Barber Adagio first, for but, but yeah, no, this, my, this Max Richter song has been played in other things, but this is where I know it from. This, is it. The, this was my first exposure to it. Also seeing this movie in theater I saw this I went with um our previous guest Azam who was mm-hmm. on our Heat to Live and Die in LA episode and we went to a theater in San Diego And it was my first time going to a theater that had like reclining seats, like 18 speakers, full on like 4K digital, whatever projector, whatever. It was my first. I I hadn't really been going to like movies a lot before then, recently. I don't know. But seeing this movie with this sound design. And that theater with him was one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had. And the way the sound design, especially with the alien communication, when the hectopods would talk, the room would shake. And I felt deep shakes. And like today, it, it feels like Today, watching in my house, it felt like when I watched Master and Commander, and there's deep groaning creaks mm-hmm. of the ship all around me and uh, uh, this to to just give you like a general overview of like why I love this movie it's It's one of my favorite science fiction stories as far as how the science fiction story is told and revealed. And it also has the side that so much science fiction does not have, which is human heart. And this movie is like draped in human heart, but it also has an incredible science fiction story to tell as well. And that's why I really believe it's it's one of the best sci-fi movies ever made.
1: You're making a strong case for it right off the bat. You don't even know how I feel, Sean.
0: I don't, but I don't care. You don't even care. (laughs) Because I'm watching this again today. I can't tell you how many times I get chills watching this going down my spine, whether it's when they approach or when it's Jeremy Renner's doing his narration bit. And I feel like my brain is firing as I'm learning about. I feel like this movie actually teaches me about communication Mm -hmm. and about learning and how to establish communication and like. Just in a real-world context, how would we speak to aliens for the first time? We can't just speak to them. It would take, like, months of slow practice at a kindergarten level to establish a vocabulary. And, like, this movie answers questions that I never really fully asked, and I think it's fascinating. And I listened to the short story based on by Ted Chang, who is also one of the the co-writers of this movie and it 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 gets there it's like the the bones of it are are there but like the mother daughter stuff that's not there uh, so much of like the heart of the story is not there in the short story that this movie's based off of which makes it such an incredible adaptation that it it evolved the story into like a complete human parable
1: so the uh the Jeremy Renner voiceover stuff that's when I realized it was a Ted Chiang uh, story because I listened to not the book that this comes from, but his other book, um, Exhalation, uh, during the pandemic. We used to go on walks every single day um, when we were on lockdown, and I listened to that book like over the course of a few days, and it holds very distinct memories of like walking through the sun-dappled trees uh, as listening to these very high-minded, uh, on the same path that we walked, Sean, when you were here, uh, and when yeah, it,
0: I, I I remember that one yeah. specifically with all the giant holes in the driving range net where I felt like we were about to get <laughs> smacked by a golf ball at any second.
1: Yes, you're taking your life into your hands as you leisurely stroll around.
0: <laughs> well, uh- we were also taking our life into our hands because it's like a hundred two degrees. And 104% humidity that day we went for a walk.
1: <laughs> it's You basically come back and you look like you stepped into a shower with all your clothes on. It's, yeah, welcome to the South. Uh, but during that voiceover, I was like, this sounds like a story from Exhalation. Like, just the, uh, the steps that he's going through, the steps that he's detailing there, uh, and the use of language sounds... So much like Ted Chang.
0: I like Renner's performance. It's. He holds the cards a little closer to the, the vest, so to speak, but. I, th- I think he's really subtle in some of the looks that he gives and some of the reactions that he gives or. You know, like after that first time that they go to meet the aliens and they're both getting undressed by the military people around them they both have these just like Jesus fucking Christ looks on their faces mm-hmm. and and I just I, I think he's subtle with it I think this is Amy Adams's movie and oh, he doesn't yeah. get in the way of that
2: um it's it is
1: surprisingly her movie like I kept waiting for uh, Renner and Forrest Whitaker to, like, step up. Or for Michael Stuhlbarg to be more of a villain than he winds up being.
0: Oh, is he, like, the smarmy government yeah, guy? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. The guy from um, A Serious Man, Coen Brothers film.
0: Haven't seen it. Okay.
1: he's That's where I first noticed him. He's great. Um, I, he's great in everything he shows up in, He in these small roles. Um, but I was waiting. Yeah, to...
0: I didn't I didn't like him at all in this. So no. he did a good job.
1: <laughs> he's he's very hateable. He's
0: almost yeah. Just I feel kind of bad for him cuz like as soon as I saw his face I was like, "Ooh, I don't like you."
1: No, he looks a little punchable. Like right from the beginning, <laughs> like you kind of want to pick on him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um but It's like Josh Gad combined with an <laughs> IRS accountant.
1: <laughs> oh, poor Josh Gad.
0: I don't like Josh Gad. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I'm, I've got a soft spot for him because of Central Park,
0: but it's a good show. Yeah. He was good in that movie, Little Monsters, the zombie movie. He was good in that because he played a piece of shit.
1: Is that with um, Lupita? Lupita Nuango. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's I a didn't good see one. it. I liked it.
1: I remember the poster art very
2: vividly, though. I recommend it. It's worth watching. All right.
1: So that's our little monsters episode. Uh, no, yeah. wait. Uh, but no, the amount that it is about her journey, uh, I think, is really impressive. Like they hew very closely to her relationship with the the aliens, and th- the relationship with Jeremy Renner's character is very much backgrounded. Like how they start to trust each other and work together. Um, it's really sketched out, I think in a few few quick scenes, uh, especially that she seems to be she's the leader and the stronger of the two of them, which is a is a detail that I love by far, yeah yeah
0: and i i at no point is she damsel and distressed mm-hmm. where he's picking up the slack for her. And then, like, at the very end with the, the, that pod descending, he looks at her from binoculars, but he watches her go. And, mm-hmm. and she goes by herself.
1: And, and, and he looks proud.
0: Like, Yeah, it's, it's refreshing. And he, yeah, he's not threatened. Yeah. And, and by the end of the movie, when he says, the, the thing that surprised me most wasn't meeting them, it was meeting you. And it's just, it, it is her movie and fuck what a performance man and i this is confusing to me because i have never envisioned myself having kids nor do i ever think i want kids but when i watch amy adams interact with her daughter in this movie i feel like i get it Mm. i feel like i i get the appeal and then later on, when she and Renner are reading a story together, I I, I just had that feeling today of like, okay, I, I I I do understand this appeal, even if I've never really felt that drive in my life to have kids, but it does it did seem appealing to me at this point in time.
2: But that's um. I mean that's what movies do,
1: like. Uh, what is the? And I should know this because my old show was titled after the quote. But there's a Roger Ebert quote about how movies are uh, a machine that inspires
2: empathy. Hmm. Yeah.
1: And.
0: And even when this movie tried to show like the goods and the bads of Parentina's, as she has these flashbacks which we learn later are flash forwards and she sees her daughter say go through like from being a baby to saying I love you to being a teenager saying I, I hate, hate you, you. to being sick and bald in a hospital bed
2: Um, it's just it it,
0: it tries to show not just the the really saccharine sweet moments of things. I, I, I think I I really, by the end of this movie, I want to have like that discussion with you of like about her choice. I, I think there's so much to talk about, about her choice that she makes by the end of this, but we're not there yet. Let's, let's get back to like kind of close to the beginning here. Okay. So like right off the, the bat, this movie you hadn't seen it before, so I want you to tell me when you started to key in on what was happening with the timeline in this movie. Because right off the bat, she says something about now I'm not so sure I don't believe in beginnings and endings. And...
2: That totally
1: flew past me. It wasn't until one of the flash-forwards, maybe midway through the film, um. Where, uh, might even be a little bit leading into the last portion where she has, um, her daughter's trying to come up with the phrase zero-sum game.
0: Non-zero-sum game. Yeah, non-zero-sum game. So that, same for me, when I was in the theater, that were, that was where my hair stood on end. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck? but I didn't get it yet.
1: Well, when she, because they make a point for, uh, early on when Jeremy Renner is introduced, um, he's asking all the science questions and she's asking the, the language ones. Uh, and there's a comment made about like, Oh, the two are fighting science and science and language. Uh, and then yeah the when the... he
0: believes that like science is the cornerstone of civilization yes. he believes language yeah yeah it's like kind of they set them up this this movie sets them up well to be adversaries mhm and then i love that the message of the movie by the end is the aliens want us to all to come together they they want language and science to come together basically this movie just wants humanity to pull together and share intellectual resources. And that's same with their relationship.
2: hmm But, uh, so the
1: daughter is asking for um, a term uh, that means, like, basically compromise or win-win. But she says that's not scientific enough. And Amy Adams says, if you want science, go talk to your father. Or call your father. Because yeah. they're, they're already split up at this point um but that it hit me then what was going on but it didn't really hit me until the end like when they kind of reveal why they're not together anymore yeah that
2: yeah
1: yeah
0: so for me is it was, it was that revealed there and then but it was at the gala when General Shan, the Chinese general, approaches her mm-hmm. and says, "I don't know how your mind works, but I should give you my phone number." That was where, like in the theater, I I can still feel it now. I still feel like the hairs on my forearms rising up as the circular timeline. Each piece of it clicks in, and it's like it's still hard for me to grasp, but it's an incredible concept that to live like in that like Nietzsche version of like time is a flat circle or whatever, mm-hmm. but to be like actively living it as we see her, as what we first think are flashbacks to the kid that she lost before this all started, and I think I think it's also great. Adam's performance is not a grieving mother at the start of this movie, but just an extremely lonely person. Right. But it's very easy to read grief in her performance when she just seems to be a very isolated person in her. Did you get um, De Niro house vibes from heat from her place? It's oh, on the no. water, looking over the water. It, it, it just like the backdrop of that lake feels so empty, like De Niro's place with the ocean. I mean, granted, she has more furniture and stuff in right. hers than De Niro does, but it, it's also shot the uh, similar way, where that that big gray ocean lake background is always back there, dominating. It's like this void.
1: Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I was um I was really struck by everything feels very composed and not symmetrical but very like designed uh through most of this movie except for the flash forwards which feel more like Terrence Malick films which also kind of felt like The Fountain um but the
0: should I watch Tree of Life? Because, man, I I love those flash-forwards where it's just, like, <laughs> random cuts of her daughter. And I gotta say, the performance of her daughter... I, I wish I had the actress's name. She, I, I think her daughter gives such a beautiful performance. This, this little girl. Mm-hmm. Especially the part where... When um. When Louise tells her daughter. A- about the 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 disease, but then she says. And you're and something like and you're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Oh my and god! And the little girl just says, "I'm unstoppable."
2: Believe it or not, I know something that's going to happen.
0: I can't explain how I know, I just do. And when I told your daddy, he got really mad.
1: And he said I made the wrong choice. What? What's going to happen? It has to do with a a really rare disease.
2: And it's unstoppable
0: like you are. You're swimming. And your poetry and all the other amazing things that you share with the world. I am unstoppable. It it just is such like a little micro moment but it, it felt so like just real, and it's something that's so hard to get out of child actors. Any of these flashbacks or flash forwards, whatever you want to call them, with Amy Adams chasing this girl around when the girl's uh, like uh-huh. dressed in like a cowboy outfit or whatever. It 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 all just feels so genuine and real and like motherly love to me. I feel like that's really where I. I feel like. Her, Amy Adams' performance pull through is in these parts and to see how empty she is at the start of this movie and then to see her in these flash forwards as we learn so fulfilled yet at the same time man like w- when she's looking at her baby and she knows the prophecy mm-hmm. that she's given birth to and there's still it's like 90% wonder and 10% tragedy in her look as she's holding her baby's hand and stuff. It's it's so heavy. It's so heavy.
1: That's... I think there's also something to the fact that those... uh, Apart from maybe one sequence, the flash-forward scenes are so much lighter than the rest of the film. Like they're suffused with actual, uh, everything else feels like very dead, you know, like when they're in the military encampment, um, there's no, there's no color to the lighting. Uh, it's, it's all very cold. Uh, and when you're in those flash forwards, it's like the sunshine is beautiful. Or when they're indoors, like the lights seem very warm. Uh, like a nice, cozy reading light kind of a thing.
0: It- yeah, no, her house... The, the lighting in her house without her daughter is dead mm-hmm. De Niro heat lighting. It, it's like, there's no warmth. It's, it's the cold of the water seeping into the house in
1: both those movies. And the the only other... Sequence, I feel like the gala is pretty bright and colorful, um but the part where it really kind of makes you take notice is uh when she's in the heptopods like in the in with them, I don't know what you call it in their environment
0: in their in the, in on their half of the ship in the atmosphere, yes, yeah yeah,
1: that's
0: daunting and i love it's it's this movie takes a really long time to reveal both the ship and the heptapods and we first get a little reveal of the ship where it's like a a news footage and you get some like spotlight silhouette stuff and you see there's some kind of black shape in the sky but the reveal Of this movie where it's like that big, scary Mm -hmm. music as the fog is rolling over the hills of Montana like liquid. And then the reveal again later through the glass wall of the two aliens is similar to that of that feeling of like hair on the back of my neck. But when she's inside that atmosphere with Costello or Abbott, the one that survived, mm-hmm. to see that creature's full shape and to see it almost looks like a Silent Hill creature where it's like, it almost looks like a human in a straitjacket that's been bound. So it, it still has the head on top of the shoulders and everything, but we have not seen the full shape of this creature for 90 minutes now. Or even more, maybe, and to see it then, it just there's so many reveals in this movie that that stand my like the hairs on the back of my neck on end.
1: So you mentioned the the score slash sound design for uh, when when the reveals happen.
0: Can we can we say rest in peace, Johan Johansson, who he, the, did the composition and score for this movie and was just a- incredible and died way 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 too soon.
1: Uh he also I didn't realize this. I know he did Mandy, that he did the score for Mandy, which is phenomenal. Um but he also did he was a sound consultant for Mother, the Aronofsky film.
0: There you go. That I mean if I watch that movie again, I'm sure part of the reason that I didn't like that movie is because it was so stressful due to the sound design. Yes. Mother is basically like watching a... I don't remember how long it is. A hundred minute panic attack.
1: Yeah, it is It is a nightmare. Uh, two hours. It's 121 minutes. And I
0: didn't like it in theater because it was like, Aronofsky, <clears throat> stop with the Christian shit. But as just like a panic attack movie... It's excellent. Oh, yeah. no movie makes me feel, like, stressed out like Mother did. (laughs) Because it's all just about, like, guests continually showing up in your house even after you've thought they're gone and you've kicked them out. And it just, like, keeps compounds and compounds and compiles and multiplies itself. And I, I had no idea what to expect from Mother. But what it was was not what I expected at all. And I think, I'd, I think I'd like it more on a rewatch than I did seeing it the first time in theater.
1: Um, so, did you realize... Oh, first of all, uh, Mother... Um, there's a Boonwell movie that is very similar about um, some party guests that can't leave the party...
0: Oh, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie? There you go. I saw it. Yep. That's Yeah, That that's a good point. Uh, um, yeah, that's definitely a co- uh, correlation. That'd be a good double feature if we ever want to do another Aronofsky. Uh,
1: have a Panic Attack and Existential Crisis double feature?
0: Uh, it doesn't sound like... A, it's like two Panic Attack movies. It doesn't sound like a good thing for us. Yeah.
1: Uh, but also, um, Johan Johansson... Was in a band called Daisy Hill Puppy Farm, which is just phenomenal. It's a shoegaze band called Daisy Hill Puppy Farm, and I need all their music now.
2: Shugazi. <laughs> um,
1: but when the I really wish that they didn't use the coffee bean spaceships on the poster art. I am, I will watch a trailer and I don't give a fuck. Like, you know, show me all the cool stuff, but the way that they reveal them in the movie is they hold them back, but it's on the cover art when I clicked on it to watch the movie.
0: Right? No, it's, and it's like a 25 minute reveal for the ship. I get that for sure. Because you know me, I, I like to go in as blind as possible. And so when I saw this movie, I I had only seen the coffee bean. Yet still, the the reveal of it, because of the sound design, and because of the theatrical experience I had with how loud it was, mm. it worked on me. Um, have you ever heard of an octobass? Um because i'm pretty sure that is being used in this so is it is
1: it an 8 string bass
0: no it's it's imagine a stand up bass okay i wish uh, how can i copy image uh here put a, check the episode discussion tab that's an octo bass <laughs> it's a bass it's a cello oh
1: that's, that's
0: about 18 feet tall and uh, (laughs) and I hear that in this score especially as they're approaching. It's like the deepest like
1: Is that real?
0: Yeah. It's badass. It's badass. I'm sure this score has an octobase on it. I, I only recently learned about this instrument's existence but seeing a man with a cello bow, standing, looking like he's a shrunken mouse, <laughs> about to play this instrument, just gives me delight.
1: It's, uh, i like the fact that the guy is standing on a uh, footstool to play this thing. <laughs> right. It's so—that's—that's uh, uh, that's amazing.
0: Uh, did you track the puke in this movie? Jeremy Renner pukes. It's a but weak puke. It's make, him a, it's Blair, a, make him Blair making make him Blair's still <laughs> our king. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Make him Blair's still the one.
1: It's a bad puke. It's uh but once again, it's showing that Louise can take care of shit. Like she's shaken after their first visit to the uh, to see the heptopods, but Jeremy Renner pukes in a in a trash can.
0: I like that one guy previously had been shipped out <laughs> in like an inflated Plastic sleeve, and the, and the guy's just like, oh yeah. Some people don't respond to this event as well as others. <laughs> Some people freak the fuck out. <laughs> I like so this movie. I think my favorite thing about this movie is just like that the way it the education process evolves. It it just fascinates me. And so when they they start to bring the whiteboard, and she introduces herself as human. And then, like, Ian walks and they start to introduce their written language. And man, that their written language is so cool. The way the mist shoots out and makes that circular, uh, like, script. And the way the movie describes it is like, I love, like, imagine writing a sentence from both beginning and end with both hands and meeting at the center point and knowing exactly how much time everything would take. It, there's so much like brilliant foreshadowing, which on rewatch is so obvious. Mm-hmm. But on the first watch, there's not a chance in hell, I feel like you could guess what the hell is going on. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm I feel like I'm talking too much, and I really want to hear what your experience was as far as discovering this movie because I I rewatched this today, so right. I I had a lot of emotions going in. What did you feel like? What how did you deal with the revelation of the circular time? When just just go off. Okay. Tell me about it.
1: So the I well, there's there's steps to it, right? Like um. They're teaching us the audience the same way that they're supposedly teaching the aliens, right? Like, they're walking us through these steps uh, so that we can understand this larger concept, which I think is brilliant.
0: Because they have to walk the military dipshits through it, yes. like their children, just as we are children.
1: Yes. Uh And when Amy Adams tells the the story the kangaroo story right like yeah <laughs> that uh what was it uh, somebody showed up on the shores of australia Captain
0: cook's pirates showed yes. up in, like new zealand and they were told the word for that animal was kangaroo but it was actually someone just saying i don't, I don't understand know. yes but And then ADS just says, Oh, yeah, but I made that story up, which just proves my point that (laughs) when we don't, when we have misunderstandings with vocabulary, all of this
1: is worthless. It's so good. It's the way that they kind of hold your hand and walk you down this path. And I really, after I got to the reveals at the end, was wondering if it was. If it would work on a rewatch. Uh, and I realized that the flash forwards definitely would. Um,
0: it all does. Does it? I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, granted, it's been a few years since I've watched this movie. It all works, though, because now I pick up on everything. I pick up on Amy Adams at the beginning of saying, like, that her first line is something like, I used to think this was the start of your story or something talking about her daughter. Mm mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure I believe in Beginnings or endings, and there's so many little lines that she has, or um, at one point, somebody's, oh, there's a guy, they're looking at the the news report of the Chinese general who is starting to move his troops into place and stuff, and a guy says, Have you met General Shang? Just referring to the news report. Yes. But yes, she has met General Shang because her time is circular. And so, yes, she has already met him. She's already communicated with him. But she's already gotten his phone number.
1: The flash forwards occur more frequently or more often as she is gathering the language.
0: Yeah, as they give her the weapon. Yes. And I and and what a beautiful idea that like this language can be defined as a weapon, but also weapon is not the right word for it cuz right. that word is lost in translation. Well, it's so much more than that.
1: And I I thought of um there's a line I don't remember if it was from one of her songs or just a quote that she said, but um, Annie DeFranco quote of saying, uh, every tool is a weapon if you hold it right. Made me think of the opposite is true as well.
0: Well, in this movie, they say, Forrest Whitaker says, Amy Adams says to Whitaker, if I give you a hammer, he he says says, everything is a nail, everything is a nail. Yeah.
1: Which, I use that all the time, like, as a piece of advice to people, like, to try to think outside the box.
0: Really? Yeah. That's, wait, that's, that's just, that's a, uh, an idiom, like a common yeah. idiom? Yeah. Really? Yep. I, I don't know if I've heard that outside of this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Basically, if, uh, all, if all you have is a hammer, then all your solutions are nails, and it's probably not a great way to approach problems.
0: I feel like I've heard that in similar regards of, like, something about, like, if, if you want a surgeon, don't use a hammer or whatever. It's some shit. I don't know.
2: I
1: I don't know where you're going with that, but I like it.
0: It's, like, I think that's from the movie Sniper with Tom Berenger, where it's, like, he's a surgeon, like, a surgical scalpel, mm-hmm. and then, like, the rest of the military who are all, like because he's a sniper so he gets in and out with one bullet, one shot, one kill. Mm. And then the rest of the military shoots like millions of bullets to try to get their guy and am we should talk about sniper sometime with my brother-in-law Patrick actually. <laughs> he's the one that, we should talk sniper and Remo Williams because those are both movies that my brother-in-law introduced me to.
2: Uh Never seen either one of them. Really?: Yep
0: That upsets me. Now, now the what started as a joke episode might now turn into a reality, <laughs> although man, am I hesitant to have any of my family members on the show? <laughs> it just makes it too real. <laughs> um. So, uh, we get, like, a little side plot of, like, soldiers listening to conspiracy theories and then dropping the C4 up in the, the thing, and then the, the aliens blast Renner and Adams out of there into the zero gravity and close the door, and Abbott or Costello dies. One of them is in death process, so to speak.
2: mm I I didn't. I was think...
0: surprised that like they're letting soldiers out there listen to Alex Jones kind of podcasts.
1: Oh my god!
0: I feel like they would have that lockdown.
1: <laughs> that guy, that uh, just like you want to punch Michael Stuhlbarg. That guy pissed me off. I hated that part. I don't need more of yeah. that in my fiction. There's enough of it in real life. Let's see. Oh, oh, I thought.
0: Uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Uh, they they speak in your tattoo, Sean.
0: Oh shit! I I was thinking that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My my tattoo looks kinda <laughs> looks kind of similar to this movie, and now I kind of want to <laughs> get like a, a a tattoo on my right forearm because I have a spiral on my left that looks. Somewhat similar to the communication now I want to get one on my right that uh that's an arrival font, except I only have two tattoos. People say tattoos are addicting they're not. I got one tattoo when I was like twenty eight and another one when I was twenty nine and now i'm thirty six and though I have two tattoos
1: um you're talking to the
2: wrong guy. I, I, you have, I find like, them very free.
1: I've got most of a left sleeve, uh two on my right arm, and one on my right calf. So far. But I I literally uh emailed one of the parlors that I worked with today about getting some more work done. So
2: That's exciting.
1: Yeah. It'll probably be a while in the future, but I gotta travel
2: for it. Why?
1: Because the the artist that I want to work with is up in uh, Georgia's neck of the woods, um, just outside Philadelphia. So, I it's amazing what you can find. Yeah, on the but don't
0: you just want to settle for someone who's like fifteen miles away and just dude? I, I had
1: the, <laughs> I had that thought. I really did. I was like, but then I went back and looked at the other artist's work, and I was like, God dang, it's so good.
0: Um so I love with this movie it, it, at the start of it when we hear the news report there's 12 space pods that land and a news reporter said if this was a first communication a first peaceful communication why why not send one why send 12 and in the end mm-hmm. when we learn that the aliens demand that we work together as a species is wonderful. And and like that fact that like when they dump all of that mist and there's like thousands of um words all up in there mm-hmm. but the words equal like 8% they equal 1 in 12 right. of the the missing space. And that humanity has to actually work together after they've completely shut down that whole 12 country network of information sharing. It's just, I, like, uh, I love so many things about the message of this movie without feeling preachy at all. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I, I, I think it's, and it, it seems to exist in like a pretty realistic place of like geopolitical shit that would go down and stuff. I, 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 Even without looking at like the heart and the human side of the Amy Adams side of the story, I think just to look at this as a movie about a government's response, a global government response to a dozen spaceship arrivals in itself would be an interesting movie. But then to add on top of that, Amy Adams living at Time is a circular pattern. Choosing to have a daughter... It adds so much heart to it.
1: That's... I feel like both of these movies are really earnest. Like... They both are like... Here's... Here's this big grandiose kind of science fiction fantasy idea happening. But also, here's all my feelings... (laughs) Please treat them kindly, uh, and I love yeah. that about both of these movies. And it actually uh, made me think also of um, M. Night Shyamalan's first few movies, where you have this like big concept, but there's you know some uh, a real emotion at the core of it that kind of drives everything. Uh, or uh, the other one that came to mind was The Abyss. Totally. Yeah.
0: I love The Abyss. I think The Abyss is so underrated. Yeah. I, I also regret Ed Harris not getting more leading roles. I think Ed Harris was a leading man who didn't get the, the shots. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with that.
2: Um, looks like a big old coffee bean. Oof. Okay, so where are we? Cuz I've got some stuff about the about the end that hits me real hard.
0: Um Oh. Oh, early- so were you- yeah,
1: I was, was going to say early on um when they first start talking about the aliens and she diagrams that sentence. Right? And she's like we have to know, we have to teach them this whole sentence cuz we don't oh, just I loved want it.
0: What is your purpose? We have to define Earth. if is is it you as an individual or is it you as a species?
1: Because we, we don't def- just want to. We don't just want why Joe Alien is here. Yes, that's what she calls, she calls him. And, Joe and Alien, then,
0: and then we have to define purpose. Do you consciously make choices, or are you a creature that just exhibits? And this is what I love about the movie is just that breakdown to the most basic form of like. How the fuck do you communicate with somebody who you have zero basis of communication with? Mm-hmm. That hmm That riddle. Sorry to, to interrupt. Go ahead.
1: Well, no, because mine was going to be about uh, Joe Alien. And do you know who Joe Alien is related to? Uh,
0: Joe Camel?
2: Joe Mama. Damn.
0: <laughs> Damn. I was close.
1: Uh, yeah, you were very close. Uh, at the very least, Kira appreciated that joke last night uh, as we were watching the movie. So <laughs> that's which was also very rare that anybody watches these movies with me. And Kira decided to come downstairs and work on her her art project for school and watch the movie. And she made some some insights. She as watched well.
0: Arrival with you. Yes. So was she at all? <laughs> Worried that you might have had a prophecy before she was born. About... <laughs> right, we're getting a little morbid here. Let's move on. Let's move yeah. on. Uh, Luis has weapon. Use weapon. We help humanity. In three thousand years, we need humanity help. So I, the aliens, the aliens came here to give us this technology because it sounds like in 3000 years from now there might be some kind of galactic war or calamity of some kind i i am very curious you know but i'm also really curious because louis says if you learn their language and if you really learn it that's the weapon because right. you learn it's their language does not convey sounds as ours do. Their language conveys meaning. And so when you understand the meaning, you understand the circular nature of time. And so I do, I'm very curious about like Luis publishing books and lecturing circuits and stuff of like, is it going to become commonplace in the in humanity's future, that we all understand time as a linear circle. I mean, as time as we, not linear, we all, as we evolve in the next 3,000 years, and their alien language becomes more and more indoctrinated into our everyday language, do we all gain this view of time? And is that the goal? For the entire human Civilization to start to be able to see all of time, future and past.
1: I feel like that is the that's the way that we work together. Like everybody has to have the weapon.
0: Agreed. Yes, it's the only. But it feels like in the first few years, Luis is the only one who has it. As General Shang says, I don't understand how your mind works. Yes. But I think I do. And I think as Louise gives these lectures and publishes her books, it will become common human knowledge, right? Yes.
1: And I think that it's, I don't know, it, it seems divorced from, even though there is the inter- international politics angle to it it seems divorced from any kind of jingoistic simplistic uh like flag waving right because it's not like americans were right because we do learn that the way that the chinese try to talk to the aliens is through playing mahjong right where it's it's a game and it's winner take all and so it is you only win or lose and it it's not the holistic approach that Louise is taking um so if Louise can be the one who kind of forwards these ideas then hopefully everybody else will come along harmoniously to understand everything and i think that maybe that's how we become the enlightened race like it's not just the idea that we can all then understand the future and the paths of our own lives. Um, and everything that has led up to now and everything that is the cascade effect that happens going forward, but that we all have gotten there by the same principles, which are these, like the little baby steps that Louise has laid out. If everybody can get there, then nobody is left behind. And, you know, we're all on the same page. Like, mentally, and uh, situationally.
0: That, well said. And I, I think it's interesting to look now at Renner's character, Ian, because he's versed in the language, but he does not receive the mm-hmm. gift. So he's he's oblivious to his future. And so I think now's a good time to talk about one of the biggest like cruxes of this movie plot
2: is one. Louise
0: chooses to have her daughter who she knows will be taken out by a rare illness in her teenage years. But the second thing I think is interesting is as Louise sees her future, she says to Renner at the end of the movie, if you could see your entire life and what would happen, would you change it? And that presents to me the option that she could change it, and and now I'm I'm wondering if just if her life is a, on a determined scale where once she has a vision of the future, that's just her future. Or if she can change it. And I feel like that's like a, a topic for another movie. That's not it's not even really confronted in this. I I feel like I don't know. You're you're a father, and so I I the amount of love that she brings into this life and everything. It it crushes me, but I I don't know. What do you think? I'm I'm struggling to formulate my words.
1: um, Two threads. One of them is, isn't this the same um, kind of conundrum uh, or paradox brought to you by the Terminator uh, movies? Right? Because uh, if the Terminator didn't come back, we wouldn't have the technology to build the Terminator and if the terminator didn't come back to chase um oh what's his name michael bean's character then he wouldn't have impregnated linda hamilton who wouldn't have had john connor uh, reese yes kyle reese kyle reese yes uh who would become the leader of the resistance and then send kyle reese back in time to impregnate his own mother so that he could be born it's crazy <laughs> right um but the other thing is The, the first time that, um, Ian and Louise embrace, Louise says, I forgot how good it felt to be held by you.
0: She's never been held by him.
1: Yeah, but she has, and she's seen everything and she knows she has already been lonely for the dissolution of their relationship in the future. (laughs)
2: It's. <laughs> I know. And,
0: and it's. And this is why I think her, Amy Adams' performance is incredible because when she holds Renner at the end, she's holding she's holding on to a future and a forgotten past mm-hmm. at the same time, and same with those scenes with her daughter. Like I said earlier everything has everything's so beautiful but has just a twinge of inevitability behind it and i i'm just so blown away by her in this movie and i i think renner was like an odd choice to play a scientist math guy but i think he does really well because like i said before he he doesn't go big. and he, It, it kind of leaves space for her. Mm-hmm. To, for, to have this be her story. Yet, at the same time, it's very easy to understand why she falls for him. Especially after they share this experience together.
2: But... Does she even have a choice? Once again. Right.
1: Like... That you can see is it it
0: determinism or fatalism, right? It's like those two philosophical classes,
1: and uh, right before they embrace at the end, there is a, uh, a moment where she's like puts her hand around the back of his neck, and it looks like they're gonna kiss, and then she holds him.
0: Yeah, oh, so close to a first kiss,
1: yes, and there's something about like. Even the moment right before it, she she's looking away when he says the line about, uh, about meeting her, right? And you can kind of see her face, and it's almost like she's making the decision of, like, she knows, okay, now is the time when I turn to him. Now is the time when I look into his eyes. Now is the time when we embrace. Like. Wow.
0: Yeah. Like rehearsing her memory. Yes. That she, yeah. Wow. And I'm in this in this movie, as her daughter is this movie is a palindrome mm-hmm. where it begins and ends in nearly the same place where we we have Max Richter's song playing as the pan down shot from inside the house, which starts the movie, ends the movie basically, and we look out over the lake and her her um voice voiceover at the end saying You're ready.
2: Despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it,
0: and I welcome every moment of it. You.
1: (gasps) That is our link back to the fountain, right? That is that is Izzy's stance on things, like. Let's go, this is going to be painful, it's going to hurt, but let's have this time and have these experiences while we can, rather than denying our fates.
2: Life really hurts, but it's beautiful,
0: and it's really important to be grateful for the moments that we get, and I these special moments that we have, and, you know, tonight's one of those, man. I, 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 I don't know of another time I would get to discuss, existential shit like this, for two and a half hours with somebody in depth, where I just know someone else is there with me in it, and I, and I can, share whatever I want, and, know that you're actually listening really special to me so like, thank you I, I really appreciate you and just this show I know it's tiring sometimes and we we, we <laughs> fall through lapses but it's, it's it's a really great thing
1: that's the amazing thing is I've spent so much of the last couple days or last couple of weeks really with all this like work anxiety and like other shit eating at me and we've talked about it a little bit but uh watching these movies and then talking about them like puts things in an entirely different perspective a much longer view than i'm worried about what's going to happen tomorrow it's and you saying about life being painful yet beautiful and it's that it's worth the pain to get to the beauty like that hits me that like Currently is hitting me. And I really appreciate that, Sean.
2: Gonna be alright, bud.
0: This is a 5 out of 5 movie for me. I... This is like... When I, when I look at a movie like The Thing. Where it's like, oh, it's a 5 out of 5 monster movie. And it's a 5 out of 5 isolation winter movie. That's kind of how I look at this. Where it's like just on like the sci-fi time shit alone Mm -hmm. it's a five out of five and when i look at amy adams character and her plight and what she goes through and the mother that she becomes and the love that is created and then extinguished is just stunning and that's a five out of five story for me as well i this was one of my like like just best movie theater experiences ever, and rewatching it today, so many moments I get chills, and even just now, like spotting the foreshadowing moments mm-hmm. of what's the inevitability gives me chills and it's it's almost a more fun movie to rewatch now i I'm really, really, really happy you chose this one. What do you think
1: uh? I gave it four and a half and a heart. It's yeah, it's right up there. I awesome. I think by virtue of what it's doing, um, it's, it's a kind of a tough movie to entirely embrace because so much of it is spent with the, uh, that cold feeling. And I mean, Forrest Whitaker, I think plays a very good character in here, but between him and Michael Stuhlbarg, like they keep you at arms distance. And part of the Can movie Can I say is this
0: this them. movie kind of reminds me of Thief in a Way of like I learn I, mm. I this movie educates me about yes. something. I learn about something and it's, I, it triggers that part of my brain as I'm watching this. I feel like I'm getting smarter. Yes. As the movie's teaching me about shit or about how to steal a vault or whatever.
1: But that's um have you read other Ted Chang stories?
0: No, I I only listened to this one. Okay, so I w- I would love to
1: read or listen to more of his. So I only came to his stuff because of the movie, or the show Devs, the Alex Garland show.
0: I need to watch that show too. Oh my I, god, it's been on my. I've had it on my hard drive for years.
1: Yeah, that was. Um, I don't remember. I think it was maybe early lockdown when we watched it, and it was like really blew my hair back. It is some of the most philosophical science fiction stuff wrapped up with a murder mystery. Uh, and Nick Offerman is in it.
0: Is it a complete story? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I gotta watch it. Yeah, then. it's
1: it's one one season, a complete story, and you're done. Okay,
0: I I have it on my hard drive. I gotta watch it. Yeah, I I love Garland.
1: Yeah. Plus it's um uh what is her name? Sonoya Mizuno, I believe her name is, um, who played the the other Natalie Portman in Annihilation. The ballet dancer who who does the Oh uh, yeah the, the shape version of her. Yeah. Um yeah, she's in she's the lead in devs and uh she was a telephone operator in men. So she's
2: she's been in like a lot of girl and stuff. Awesome.
0: Um I feel like we haven't done any like plugs in a while. Of movies you've watched recently that you liked. I'm going through my list right now. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll tell you. Okay. Boy. I watched Everything Everywhere all at once at home on about what would be the equivalent of a half eighth of shrooms. Okay. To- very potent shrooms so it was a smaller dose i've never watched a movie to completion before on shrooms because i normally get too anxious and i need to like get up and walk around and do something else or move and whatever i got into a blanket with the pillow on the couch and it was perfect everything everywhere at once it's like as i was coming up and like the. kind of like a little bit like more stressful and caffeinated that's when all like the action shit happens and like it's like it was fun to watch and there's some laughs but then when like the trip's setting in and I'm starting to just feel like the mushroom like telling me how much like love is important and all of the insecurities I have are not important and just the people around me and in positivity and Everything that's beautiful is what's important for them to be, like, experiencing that story with Kiyo Kwan and Michelle Yeoh and and, and their character arcs and everything. It was just stunning. And the music, the soundtrack, the score is so big and it's so positive at the end. I, I was crying for, like, the last... Like thirty minutes of that movie straight, but it was beautiful. And I, like, mild dose of mushrooms and watch everything everywhere all at once. It's
1: amazing. Please, <laughs> I love I love that recommendation. Uh, mine's gonna be the the movie High Diddle Diddle" from nineteen forty
2: three. That's not real.
1: I know. Okay, so I was listening to um Pure Cinema podcast and they had Quentin Tarantino on for like a four and a half hour episode where they talked about public domain movies that you can watch mostly on YouTube. Uh and some of them have been restored, some of them haven't, but one of his picks was this movie from 1943, one of Tarantino's picks. Like you would expect it to be some kind of like trash 70 cinema or something you know um road movies and all these different kinds of things that he's into but it was this delightful comedy that's really in the vein of like airplane something along those lines but with a little bit more heart like you actually kind of care about the characters a little bit instead of just being gag factories uh and it was a really funny movie and I was watching it while doing the dishes. But <laughs> I stopped and just stood there and watched it for a while uh because the sight gags are really good. There's a whole sequence where um is it Pola Negri I believe? Um the, there's a running gag about how she's this um uh opera singer and everybody like kind of mocks her through the whole thing for being this opera singer and then at the end there's a giant sing along uh where they take one of her songs and turn it into like a popular tune like a like a a standard uh and everybody hates that and there's a uh the wallpaper comes to life behind this is from 1943 the wallpaper comes to life behind these people and depicts a cartoon i believe it was uh, Wagner um running around and like trying to stuff cotton in his ears, but it's done in this wide shot where you see hundreds of these Wagner's running around. And it's just this amazing kind of stuff that really, I'm amazed how they did it back in those days. Like I'd be amazed to see it today. And it was just really impressive. Uh, and there's a lot of good jokes, Uh especially if you like, like Mark's brother's kind of rapid fire comedy. There's a lot of that good stuff in there. So Hate it a little from or hide it a little from 1943. Directed by Andrew
2: L. Stone.
0: Right on. Yeah. That was a hell of a I would never have expected you to come out with that recommendation.
1: <laughs> and it's on Paramount uh, anything- Plus. There you go.
0: There you go. You got anything else for this one?
1: Um nope. Just listen to the other podcast I do, Stagecoach Justice. We are in the middle of a uh, series exploring the Django films, uh, of which there's only a few official ones, but there was a ton of knockoffs. Um, So we're going through some of the unofficial Django films as well as the official ones. Um, And we might even have a special guest who, uh, I believe, wrote a paper on the 85 different Django films and watched them all. And uh, There's a lot of depth to it. I thought you were
0: going to say, we're going to have a special guest, and then you were going to invite me. <laughs> but no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and on that note, listeners, thank you so much. This has been Nashville CA. We're going to see you in hopefully two weeks. We're, I know we've been a little bit eh, yeah. in the air with our schedule, but hey, that's what you get when you get you get what you pay for, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> And when you pay nothing, sometimes you get nothing. Uh, I believe next episode we will be discussing Godfather and Parasite, the Korean movie. Um, but that's up in the air. Maybe not. We may be discussing uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf Ooh. with our old friend Russell and another movie to be undecided. Or, who knows, we may not be talking about any of that. But the only <laughs> way to be kept up to date is by following us on our Discord, which even then we sometimes don't really keep up to date. Because this show is not professional, and not sponsored, <laughs> and will never go anywhere. But that's just okay with your hosts. Josh, you got anything else?
1: Nope, you've said it perfectly and succinctly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for wasting your time with us. We love you all. Please be kind to yourself. Please be kind to each other. We'll see you in approximately two weeks. Take care.
1: Bye.